we are taking the fifth part of the topic, the power of the altar. Uh, so we are going to start today with a reflection from last week's study of the subtopic generational influence of altars. And the reflection will lead us to examine the influence of altars in social interaction. So today, we are dealing with influence of altars in social interaction. Of course, as we are well aware, basically, life is natural, life is also spiritual. Life is natural, life is also spiritual. The essence of this teaching is to empower us on how to deal with the spiritual side of life. The spiritual side of life. So life basically can be said to be kana. That is the natural dimension to life. And life is also spiritual. And because it is spiritual, we need to be supernaturally empowered. We need to be supernaturally empowered to be able to handle the spiritual issues of life. So, again, we can say that life basically revolves around two major activities. Because life is natural and supernatural, it revolves around two major activities. So, as we live our life, we are basically involved in two major activities. Number one is social interaction. Somebody says social interaction. Then the second basic activity to life is spiritual warfare. What do I call it? Spiritual warfare. Many of us are get, got so, get so carried away with our social interaction that we fail to know that we are daily engaged in spiritual warfare. So every man is practically and consciously involved in social interaction. You should know that. Okay? Every man. We are practically and consciously involved in social interaction. And I put it to you for better understanding. For instance, we belong to different social circles, such as family. Okay? You, if you are a child, you have said good morning to your parents this morning. Okay? If you live in the neighborhood, you have said good morning to your neighbor this morning. So, basically, we are consciously involved in social interaction because we belong to different uh, social circles such as families, professional bodies, faith or religious group among others. You are in church this morning okay, because you are a member of this, this church. And of course in the church, beside the spiritual engagement in church, we interact uh, socially. So we all as men have social tendencies that are connected to our general welfare. Our social tendencies are connected to our general welfare. As a result of this, we do the following. We make friends because we have social tendency. We engage in commerce because commerce is related to our economic welfare. Do I come again? Are we following me? So we all have social tendencies that are connected to our general welfare. So as a result of that, we make friends. We engage in commerce because when we engage in commerce, we do buy and selling, we trade, okay? We go to office, we work, we earn salary to enhance our total well-being, to provide basic needs of life, to take care of our welfare, shelter on our head, 
food on our table, clothing on our body. So, we also attend official and ceremonial functions. All this as a sort of our social tendency because life is basically made of social interaction and spiritual warfare. We engage in sporting activity. Okay, yesterday, I was around the church premises and I saw young men playing football around, uh, around the church premises. So, we engage in sporting activity. We get involved in political activities because eventually it also translates to our general welfare. However, some of these activities, if not all, they are either spiritually initiated or regulated. So, all this social interaction, okay, is either they are spiritually initiated or where you want to say they are not spiritually initiated, you will still find the influence of spirituality on them. So, if they are not spiritually initiated, you will still discover that one way or the other, they are being spiritually regulated. For instance, your social interaction in terms of ceremony, if it's not spiritually regulated, then you discover that you begin to go into realms okay, that are not morally correct and that can spiritually corrupt your destiny. Are we together? So, and of course, when some of these social interactions go wrong, they are either socially resolved, okay, maybe through reconciliation, mediation, and so on and so forth. And sometimes, okay, they have to be spiritually resolved. Social interaction, when they go wrong, some other time you can resolve them socially. But some other times, if not often, you discover that we have, they have to be spiritually resolved. I put an example to you. Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4, chapter 14. We are still getting somewhere. We are still dealing with the issue of the power of the altar. Okay, and we are looking at um, the influence of generational altar when it comes to social interaction. So, 2 Timothy 4, 14. Apostle Paul said something that connotes a spiritual resolution of a social interaction that went wrong. Alexander, 2 Timothy 4, 14. Alexander, the coppersmith, did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Earlier in 1 Timothy 1, 20, Alexander and one other brother were handed over to Satan. Praise the name of the Lord. Now, one way or the other, they have come across themselves. One way or the other, there was a relationship. And so, the relationship went wrong. And the relationship could not be resolved socially. Then it got to a point whereby a man that carried the grace of God, that carried the anointing, that prayed for men, and the prayer uh, were easily answered. Now, mention the brother with whom, or a fellow with whom his relationship went wrong. And then... He said this, the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. This is not a light pronouncement. Hello? When you are relating with somebody, okay, and things went wrong, okay, some of us, we just think that it's, it's an easy thing, and then you just leave it there. One way or the other, something will happen. That whether you relate it to that pronouncement or not, it is the effect of that pronouncement because it is deeply spiritual. Are, are we together? It's deeply spiritual. Deeply spiritual. So, Apostle Paul is you here with Alexander, the coppersmith. 
was a social conflict that generated into a spiritual warfare. I said basically in life, we are engaged in two major activities, social interaction and what? Spiritual warfare. So the issue that Apostle Paul has with uh, Alexander the coppersmith here is a social conflict that has degenerated into a spiritual warfare. Now, and I am postulating this if especially we link Acts chapter 19. If you are a student of the Bible, in Acts chapter 19, there was a mention of an Alexander where there was a conflict. Apostle Paul was in the city and the people were turning to people were turning to Christ. Okay? And the silversmith of that land that were making idols for the people felt that their commerce, their economic fortune was being affected because people that were turning to Christ were no longer patronizing them okay, to buy idols or make them to smith iron for them or silver for them to serve as their idols. And so these people felt very offended. This is the area we are missing it as believers, as gospel preachers, as evangelists. We just jump into the field and we are turning, we are turning, we are turning women of easy virtue away from the brothels to the church. It's affecting the economic fortune of some people. So there's always a connection between what we call social interaction and spiritual warfare. And anytime when economic fortune is affected, people can do anything spiritual, okay? To get even with you. Am I talking to somebody? And so, in chapter 19, we read about an Alexander that was a Jew who also happened to be a metal worker. So, in this case, it looks to me like as if he was employed to mediate between Apostle Paul group, the Christian group, and the metal workers group who were aggrieved and there was a conflict, there was an uproar. One, the relationship he had with Apostle Paul were in twofold. One, he was a metalsmith, okay, professional. However, that was not the only relationship he has, or that was not the only relationship that was valuable in this discourse. One, he was a Jew. Apostle Paul, a majority of the preachers were also Jews. Are we together? Number two, he himself has accepted the gospel. So he has become part of the brethren. So essentially, this is what I'm saying. The trade of the metasmithers were being affected negatively by Paul's ministry. And Alexander, being a Jew who accepted the gospel and also a meta worker, was more or less like uh, appointed as a mediator. But he eventually betrayed the gospel for selfish gain, as it was alleged in 1 Timothy 1:20 where he was handed over to Satan. And then consequently, we have 2 Timothy 4.14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Now, we take the school of thoughts okay, that accept that Alexander of Acts chapter 19, Alexander of 1 uh, Timothy chapter 2, and Alexander of 2 Timothy chapter 4 is the same Alexander. Praise the name of the Lord. So what I'm saying essentially, and the connection here is this. Whenever issues get to a head, whenever there is a conflict, and we are going beyond civil resolution to invoke God or deity of any form, spiritual warfare has commenced. And it's an attitude that is so easy for some of us. Even like conflict among two brothers. Before you know what's happening, somebody say, eh, 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 eh
it's, it's a very dangerous ground to tread on. Are we together? So, spiritual resolution of social or civil conflict to get justice that will not be ordinarily obtained is one of the major reasons we engage in spiritual warfare. One of the major reasons we engage in spiritual warfare is when there's a social or a civil conflict and ordinarily we cannot obtain justice. The next thing is to begin to resort to higher power. The next thing is to begin to appeal to higher power. We are still looking at the subject of the power of the altar. So where will that higher power come from? The higher power will come from the altar. So we cannot boycott the spiritual dimension in hardly social interaction. So in hardly social interaction, it's very difficult to boycott the spiritual dimension. However, we should also take a cognizant note of social implication of our spiritual action. Otherwise, it will create further complication. Hello, I have said two things that will guide our social interaction. I said one, we can't boycott the spiritual dimension in handling social interaction. Because when you are going into the contract, okay, you don't know from which altar the other man or your so-called partner in business, your so-called partner in the relationship, okay, is taking his bearing from. Are we together, church? So we can't boycott the spiritual dimension and handling social interaction. Okay, you just share shop, okay, in the in, in the marketplace. Okay, you are on the same street, on the same lane. You have shop selling the same type of uh, goods. It's a form of social interaction that's connected to commerce, which is also connected to your economic well-being. One way or the other, you will have to relate together. You will have to function together as association of chicken sellers. So, when you now engage in your social interaction with the consciousness of the spiritual dimension, you should also be very careful and take cognizance note of the implication of whatever spiritual action you are taking so that it will not eventually create further complication. Take for instance, you are trying to set up an altar for your business in the church and every time, I mean for your business in the marketplace and every time you get to your shop in the morning, the first thing you do is to sprinkle water around in <laughs> openly like ritualist. Are we together? Okay, it's either it gives you a positive image or a negative what? Image. So, also be, con be, be conscious or take a cognizant note of the social implication of your spiritual action where you are bringing it to bear on your social interaction. Otherwise, you will create further complication. So, spiritual authorities and weapons are not meant to be deployed carelessly. That's the lesson there. Spiritual authority and spiritual weapons, they are not meant to be deployed carelessly and this is part of the reason i emphasized last week that believers should not go into spiritual warfare with a mind that is blind to historical covenants you know i said that with strong emphasis last week you don't go into spiritual warfare with a mind that is blind to historical covenant so no matter your level of spirituality you cannot hide under the anointing to rise against your benefactor and go scot free that's another deep implication of social interaction and its implication, okay, on blind 
engagement of people in spiritual warfare. So, no matter your level of spirituality, you cannot hide under the anointing to rise against your benefactor and go scot-free. Somebody has been your benefactor, somebody has helped you, and suddenly something goes wrong. We are looking at the link between social interaction and spiritual warfare. So, somebody has been your benefactor, he has helped you one way or the other, okay? Uh, he has been your angel of deliverance in one difficult situation or the other. And because one way or the other, you are not going along again, you start to misbehave to that person or pay that person with evil. You see, God will not be on your side because you are already going into spiritual warfare without a consciousness of the historical covenant or relationship, the social interaction that has existed in the past in your favor. Proverbs 17, 13. Whosoever rewarded evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. So, except your benefactor is not aware of this scripture. If you take this scripture to the altar, or to work out, are we together? Because many people only think in terms of immediate benefit. They have very short memory. They quickly forget the good that people have done to them in the past. They are only dwelling on what has gone wrong in the now. So, you need to know that what is conventionally put as don't buy the finger that vet you can be used as a spiritual legal ground to raise an altar of vengeance. We are looking at social interaction and its implication when we go into spiritual warfare with a blind mind. So, usually or conventionally they will say, or there's this magazine, don't bite the finger that fed you. Why? It can be used as a spiritual legal ground to raise an altar of vengeance. And on the basis of Proverbs 17, 13, okay, evil can befall a person regardless of your state of spirituality just because you raise your finger against your benefactor you see in yoruba traditional belief there is this form or a class of spell on enchantment for vengeance called so the spell is cast using the relief or the help that was once granted a person that has now caused his benefactor pain Apostle Paul was operating at that end when he said, Alexander the coppersmith did me great evil. So let us be conscious of the spiritual implication of how we handle our social interaction. So last week, we examined the story of how the Israelites, the descendants of Jacob, were forbidden from attacking the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, and how they were also forbidden from attacking the Moabites, the descendants of Lot. You see, nothing more can be responsible for that other than familiar social interaction. And that familiar social interaction has now graduated into a spiritual legal instrument. So social interaction can graduate into a spiritual legal instrument that can be taken to the altar to either cast a negative spell or pronounce a blessing. For instance, in relationship between the Moabites and the Israelites, you will take note that in Numbers 22 and 23, when the Moabites themselves intended to attack the Israelites, they didn't do it directly. They didn't do it casually. They have to resort into introducing a third party who helped them to raise evil altars. The Moabites saw the Israelites coming and conquering and they were afraid that the Israelites may attack them. They have to introduce a third party. They invited Balaam. So they didn't do it or go about it casually. 
However, to validate what I'm teaching this morning, you will discover that even at that, it was the ancient covenant which was on the side of the Israelite that prevailed. Hello? Why? Because their great-grandfather or great-great-great-grandfather Lord was supposed to be one of the most unfortunate people that ever lived. But Abraham, the great-grandfather of the Israelites, helped him. His father died. If you read Genesis chapter 11, and Abraham picked him and raised him like his own son. And out of the great land that God promised Abraham that he will give to him, ever before Abraham will even choose, he asked Lot to choose. And the Bible says Lot raised his head and he chose the greener path. He was supposed to be destroyed in a battle. He was already captured. Abraham raised the army of his own house and went to rescue him. He was supposed to be destroyed. <laughs> Hello? He was supposed to be destroyed when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. It was the intercession of Abraham that saved him again. Now, centuries had passed. The descendants of the same Abraham, they were, not, they were now coming to take their own portion of the land. You know, his own descendants had settled long, 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 long ago out of the promise that God gave Abraham. So he enjoyed the promise that God gave Abraham even when the descendants of Abraham were still serving in slavery. Now the time has now come for the descendants of Abraham to take their own possession. The Moabite now went and hired Balaam with a mind that is blind to Asian covenant, with a mind that is blind to Asian social interaction. Are we together? And they now hire Balaam. Balaam, come and curse the Israelite for us. Let's read Numbers 23. It will summarize it for us. From verse 14. And he brought him into the field of Sophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars, and offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. And he said unto Balak, This is Balaam now, saying to Balak, the king of the Moabites, the Moabites who are now display ingratitude who are now about to pay good with uh, evil stand here by the burnt offering while I made the Lord yonder and the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said go again unto Balak and say thus and when he came to him he stood by his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him and Balak said unto him what hath the Lord spoken verse 18 and he took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear, hearken unto me, thou son of Sibor. God is not a man that he should side with evil. God is not a man that he will promise the people of Israel a land through their great-grandfather. And now is the appointed time for them to take the land. And somebody will not want to stop them and turn God to a liar. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Already he has told, <laughs> he, he has told Abraham, there's a covenant standing with Israel that anybody that bless them will be blessed. Anybody that curse them will be caused. You are now saying, Balaam, come and curse them for me. God is not a man that is should lie. 
God is not the man that should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Are we together? Behold, I have received commandment to bless. And he had blessed, and I cannot reverse it. You are connected to Christ, you are connected to Calvary, and you are living right. And to be fiori alfionari. He had not beheld iniquity in Jacob. So, if you are connected to Christ, just make sure that iniquity cannot be found in you. Whosoever wants to attack you is wasting his time. Neither at this same perfastness in Israel. The Lord is God is with him. And the sound of a king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. He had he had, as it were, the strength of an unicorn. Now, verse 23. Surely. Somebody says, surely. There's no enchantment against Jacob. Neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, what had God wrought? Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion. And lift up himself as a young lion. He shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink the blood of the slain. That is, Israel was on a mission to conquer, and no power can stop Israel. <laughs> you are on a mission to fulfill destiny. Amen. No enemy will be able to stop you. Amen. No evil altar raised against you will be able to succeed. Amen. You know, you raise several altars to do it. But it failed. Why? There's an ancient covenant that cannot be defeated. And Balak said unto Balaam, Neither cause them at all, <laughs> nor bless them at all. But Balaam answered and said unto Balak, Told not I thee. Hello? So, this third party spiritualist they engaged almost lost his life in the process. You know the story. As he was going, riding his donkey, okay, there was already an angel standing who wanted to even destroy the spiritualist they engaged. Why? There's an ancient covenant walking on their behalf. Yes, last week too, we examined the story of how King Secure spiritual amnesty which protected him from being attacked in spite of his wrong deed. Hello? 
So you can find among the righteous, or you will always find among the righteous that cannot be cursed. Hello? And you can also find among the wicked that if you want to engage them in spiritual warfare, you will be very careful. So, Cain, in spite or despite killing his brother, he secured spiritual amnesty that protected him from being attacked. And that's why up to the time before Jesus died on the cross, the blood of Abel continued to cry for vengeance. Because the man who killed him, that was supposed to be killed instead, okay, died a natural death. Not a death of the consequences of what he did against his brother. Is somebody following me? So, the blood of Abel continued to cry endlessly, pleading for vengeance. Until Jesus came to atone for the sin of the entire human race on the cross of Calvary. And yes, last week, we now pause with the example of the historical covenant that forbid the Israelites from attacking the Gibeonites. That covenant was fraudulently obtained, but that will not stop it from having generational influence in favor of the Gibeonites. And so, expanding on that further today, we will still profile different examples of why it is necessary to be careful of prosecuting spiritual warfare with a mind that is blind to historical covenant. Then I will round up on how to guide our social interaction with a consciousness of their spiritual implication. How we should guide our social interaction with the consciousness of its spiritual implication. I put an example of a man called Abner to you in 2 Samuel 2, 17-22. It was a state of warfare, military warfare. And a man pursuing him called Azahel was supposed to be an easy prey for him to just kill anyhow. But Abner exercised caution. He did not quickly kill Azael. Not because Azael was a threat to him, but because he recognized that Azael has a big brother called Joab. Hello? Okolokowa, anytime, Baja, Olangu, Awa, Wanitosunibo, Wanitumbawaja. Am I talking to somebody? So, Habna exercised caution. I did not quickly kill Azael because of the regard he has for Joab, his brother. Second Samuel 2. So, both from Abna and from Azael, we can learn lessons and I will point them out. And there was a very sore battle that day, and Abna was beaten. And the men of Israel before the servants of David. Habna was beaten. He was the underdog 
in this battle. He was beaten. And there were three sons of Zoraya there. Joab and Abizai and Azael. And Azael was as light of food as a white robe. And Azael pursued after Abner. He saw that Abner was beaten. He started to pursue after Abner. There are many of you that the only reason you apply very strong is because of the corporate anointing in the church. If we leave you to yourself, but you cannot continue like that forever. Are we together? There are some of you, you appear very strong spiritually. It's because your father is alive. It's because your mother is alive. If there are no more there to pray for you, then you will suddenly discover that you are as vulnerable as anything. So, there was this battle where Abner appeared like the underdog. And there were three sons of Zeruiah. Three of them. Who were there? Johab, Abizai, and Azael. And Azael, the younger one among them. Okay? Uh, no, hiding under the corporate anointing of, his, uh, of the three. Started to pursue Abner alone. And without a weapon in his hand. And Joab was warning him and saying, Young man, I know what to do to your typo. Me and you know be It's like you don't know your category. It's like you don't know the reason I was beaten was because your brothers were there. And I respect them. And I don't want to cut their trouble again. Go back from me. And he was still following and pursuing. Following and pursuing. And as I pursue after Abner and in going, he turned not to the right hand, not to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Art thou as I am? You wanna be a labag benisole, a keke kumama gorie? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn thee aside to thy right hand or to thy left, and lay the hold on one of the young men and take his armor. He was even advising him. But as I will not turn aside from following of him, and Abner said again to Asael, Turn thee aside from following me. Wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? How then should I hold up my face to Joab, thy brother? Do anyone with Mola? Hello? What about you? Am I talking to somebody? But then you should not live life, your life like that. You should take the counsel of Abner and hold your own weapon. Have your own armor. Am I talking to somebody? And this service and empowerment service, grace will come upon you. And nothing will come upon you. You will be able to stand your ground against the forces of darkness. And how then should I hold up my face to Joab, thy brother? As I fail to realize that it is not wise to fight without being adequately equipped. The reason the Moabite, together with Balak, could not cast spell on the Israelites was because <laughs> the Bible said there was no iniquity in Jacob. 
But here you are, you are messing with sin. And you are in a state of fierce spiritual warfare. I'll give you another example. David refrained from direct confrontation with Joab in spite of his many provocative overdue. You know Joab? <laughs> He's always involved in many provocative overdue. What his master will say, I don't want you to do, that's what Joab will do. But there is a social interaction. Zeruiah, their mother, was the senior sister to David. David will always, because of that, be very careful. Many of us, we close our eyes to fight. And when he was instructing even Solomon to deal with Joab, he said he should do it wisely. And of course, finally, the cup of Joab filled up. Together with others that confederated with him to deny Solomon his rightful throne. And when Solomon was ready to pay him back with his own coin, what did uh, Joab did? He ran to the temple to get hold of the horn of the altar. There's a common altar. There's what? A common altar. Some of you, you fight your fellow brother as if you are operating from different altar. Are we together? Brother to brother. The same blood. Okay? And you fight like as if you are fighting a demon from the pit of hell. Your brother offend you. You worship in the same church. You call on the same Jesus. You carry the same Bible. And when there's a conflict, you raise your hammer as if you are raising it against Satan. First King 2. From verse 26. And unto Abiathar the priest said the king, Get thee to Anathoth unto thy own feet, for thou art worthy of death. But I will not at this time put thee to death, because thou bearest the ark of the Lord God before David my father. You know, social interaction. And when there's now a need for warfare, okay? Solomon did not just close his eyes to the social interaction and its spiritual implication. He said, what you have done is worthy of death. But for the fact that before my father, you were the one that was bearing the heart. And because thou has been afflicted in love wherein my father was afflicted. So when his father was running from pillar to post from the enemy, this man stood with his father. But this, this same man has committed a sin worthy of death. So Solomon was considerate. Because he did not want to pay good with evil so that evil will not befall him. Are we together?
So Solomon thrust out Abiathar from being priest unto the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which is paid concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. So when he will do it, he did only what ancient covenant permits. Are we together? The ancient covenant, there was an ancient prophecy. Okay? That has said that the lineage of Eli will no longer continue to bear the ark. Will no longer continue the priesthood. So, what he could do for that moment was to remove him from being a priest. Until consequently, he did again what will make him to die. So Solomon protected the social interaction because he knows that if he doesn't handle it carefully, it will have negative spiritual implication on him. Because some of us want to fight for our right. Then we put ourselves into a bigger mess. And in the process, we empower the enemy that is to be begging us to not become master over our destiny. I pray for you in the name of Jesus. You will not out of anger and blind spiritual warfare empower your enemy against your destiny. Then tidings came to Joab for Joab had turned after Adonijah, though he turned not after Absalom. And Joab fled into the tabernacle of the Lord and caught hold on the horns of the altar. He knew that his, <laughs> his cup was full and his time was over. And now is the time for him to face the consequences of what he has, he has been doing wrongly. What did he do? He ran to the temple to get hold of the horn of the altar. Maybe the altar will defend him. And it was told King Solomon that Joab was fled unto the tabernacle of the Lord. And behold, he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benahiah the son of Joiada, saying, Go, fall upon him. And Benahiah came to the tabernacle of the Lord and said unto him, Thus saith the king, Come forth. And he said, Nay, but I will die here. And Benahiah brought the king word again, saying, Thus saith Joab, and thus he answered me. Take note that Benahiah too respected the altar. He had to go back to the king and said, King, oh, he has, he has run to a place of refuge. You see, when, the, when altars are involved in any battle, okay, be careful. Don't be overtly emotional. Don't be overtly what? Emotional. So, it was on the basis of the fact that he said, I will die here. Take note, the Bible said, when Benaiah went back to the king, he said, this is what he said. Okay? <laughs> and this is what he answered. It was because he said, I will die here, that the king said, go and kill him there. If that pronouncement had not come out of his mouth, for the fact that he has held on to the horn of the altar, the king will not be able to do anything against him. And the king said unto him, Do as he had said, and fall upon him, and bury him, that thou mayest take away the innocent blood, 
which you have shared from me and from the house of my father. He has shed several innocent blood, but he has an altar where he can always run to to, 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 have, to, to, to take cover. He has a social interaction that has always protected him. And the Lord shall return his blood upon his own head, who fell upon two men, more righteous and better than Eve, and slew them with his sword. My father David, not knowing thereof, to wit, Habna the son of Nah, captain of the host of Israel, and Amasa the son of Jetha, captain of the host of Judah. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab, and upon the head of his seed forever. But upon David, upon his seed, and upon his house, and upon his stone, shall there be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaiah, the son of Jehada, went up and fell upon him, and slew him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. And the king put Benaiah, the son of Jehada, in his room over the oaths, and Sadok, the priest, did the king put in the room of Abijah. So what is the lesson here? And I want you to listen carefully. Tell somebody, listen carefully. Service value is not an accurate standard to judge the spiritual gravity of people. Service value is not an accurate standard to judge the spiritual gravity of people. Abner did not make that mistake. He knew that Azael was uh, featherweight. But he will not just run against him and kill him because he knew that he has an heavyweight brother called Joab. So, you that is just trusting on your physical strength, trusting on your, uh, on your social connection, and you don't have spiritual weight, you are trending on a very dangerous ground. Are we together? All those of you who just look at people on the, look at the surface value of people and you think you can just take on them, you are making the mistake of Goliath. Who looked at David and said, you this small boy? Not knowing that David had a, a heavier spiritual weight than him. Are we together? So, surface value is not an accurate standard to judge the spiritual gravity of people. Some people who are strongly covenant connected and consequently altar protected may appear spiritually careless. Hello? Like King Saul who had the anointing on him. Very careless. But David understood that <laughs> you don't kill this kind of man. Are we together? Such people, they are the most delicate to be engaged in spiritual warfare. Was, and that was the reason why David exercised caution. Tolerated Joab. So don't take people for granted. Not even children. Hello? Don't take people for granted. Not even what? Children. Teacher told Naomi, Tapare, what in your day? 
are we together? So, don't take people for granted, not even children. Don't take delight in offending people because you cannot tell how brutal the spirit of vengeance working with them could be. Am I talking to somebody? You find some people they easily taking insult as if they are gentle or stupid. They do it because of their confidence in the secret altar that will fight back on their behalf. So, some people take in insult as if they are gentle or stupid because of their confidence in the secret altar that will fight back on their behalf. King Saul was under the judgment of God. But no other's word must kill him. Hello? He was under the judgment of God, but no other's word must kill him except his own sword. Not even the sword of David. David understood this. Are we together? Some of us, we have turned ourselves into ministry uh, commentators. And we say just anything about men of God. Be very careful. Be what? Be very careful. Tell your neighbor, listen again. Some socially disadvantaged people are higher up on the scale of spiritual authority than you can imagine. Some socially disadvantaged people, they are higher up on the scale of spiritual authority than you can imagine. We are looking at the implication of social interaction in spiritual warfare. Lazarus, the beggar, was far heavier in spiritual graffiti than the rich man. <laughs> but his earthly physical condition did not depict such. So, be careful of offending a socially disadvantaged person. E.g. children. You know, children are socially disadvantaged. If there's an issue between an adult and the, and the child, they may listen to you as an adult. And you, must have, you may have lied against that child. Okay? But when they don't listen to that child, that child can cry to God. And a, a, a heavy hammer of God's judgment can come against you. And that's what people who who foster other people's children don't take note of. You make the art of some of these children bitter because you treat them as if they are not humans. Orphans, widows, beggars, laborers. Why do you think spiritualists ask you to go and gift gifts to beggars and let them bless you? 
Some of these socialist advanced people can be connected to strong Asian altars, particularly of vengeance, than their social status can portray. Are we together? Psalm 68, verse 5. A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. I pray you will see what I'm seeing from this verse of the scripture. A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. What does that connote? We are all children of God. But the widows and the offers are a kind of special children that are very close to his heart. So this is the lesson here. Don't despise people or take advantage of them because they appear vulnerable. Don't despise people or take advantage of them because they appear vulnerable. Because you may not know the altar that is backing them up. God here said about widows and orphans that is their father, is their husband. So we are all children of God. But these categories of social disadvantaged people are a kind of special children that are very close to God's heart. So, vulnerability is not synonymous to inferiority. That a person is vulnerable does not mean he's inferior. After all, social advantage is not a family title. Hello? Social advantage is not a family title. It can swindle to favor any man. Any leluni, ule dieni ukilola. Am I talking to somebody? So the widows and the orphans may appear vulnerable, but they are the closest to God's heart. The responsibility of their protection is on God. So fighting or cheating them is synonymous to contending directly with God. So as spiritually minded people, we are supposed to be the best socially responsible people. That you have the backing of God. You have the anointing upon your life to fight spiritual warfare should not make you to Apply your spiritual weapon irresponsibly. So, as spiritually minded people, we are supposed to be the best socially responsible people. So, this is the summary of the matter for today as we draw the curtain to pray. Altars have generational influence to put man under irreversible blessing. Or under a very, a very terrible course. So don't by your social 
irresponsibility put your future generation under a curse. The power of the Lord is in the house again this morning to set the captive free as we pray. I have taught us the way I have done this morning so that you will know and examine your mind carefully before you begin to deploy the spiritual armor we are going to engage to pray this morning. Let these principles that I have taught you guide you. Examine your heart before you take on the prayer because they are very potent. And the Lord is in the house to set the captive free. To release unto you the blessing that Ita do, the powers of darkness has denied you. To untie you from whichever bondage you have been head bound in the name of Jesus. Rise up as we pray. Rise up as we pray. Begin to appreciate your for God has interest in your deliverance. God has interest in your blessing. 